Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. I've often, I, I thought a bit about what I would say in my introductory comments, and then I thought, no, it'll take too long to say it all. I think just one thought that I had as I was uh, sitting there just enjoying the worship. First of all, gratitude to Katie and the group for leading us. Uh, I really felt that God was here, and I felt the Lord say to me, this is a healthy church. That may not seem such a big thing to say, but that's not, you know, the church has taken a battering uh, in this country, what with one thing and another through the past however long. And, uh, and that, so I consider that a, a word from the Lord to share with you this morning. Well, you'll see on the, uh, uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say was it's lovely to see familiar faces there <laughs> among you all. Uh, loads, actually. I thought everybody would have probably died off by the time <laughs> I got here. Yeah, hallelujah. Uh, I would also say it's lovely to see unfamiliar faces. So it's good to see that the work is growing and God is adding to the number day by day those who are being saved. Good. So in the last days was the word that I felt the Lord gave me to share with you. Because you could have taken that from a lot of different places. I could have taken from the book of Revelation. I could have taken from some of the teaching of Jesus, which is, you know, it's amazing. They have said that one of the biggest subjects of the New Testament is the return of Christ and the end of all things. Uh, so I could have done that. I could have gone to um, various of Paul's letters and stuff like that. I've done none of that, but we've gone to another passage in the letters later on in the Bible. Uh, so in the last days then, again, there are, I mean, there are no shortage of people commenting on things happening in the last days. I mean, even, even in the secular news, you get a, a slightly apocalyptic feel uh, about things, what is happening in the world. The, the world doesn't seem as secure as it used to seem and so on and so on. I mean, I've just put a little list up there. I put them all up there in one go because I'm not going to work my way through that lot uh, except to say that, you know, you've got it there, global turmoil. You know, they say that China's getting ready to attack Taiwan, Russia's in, the, in Europe, and oh, wow. Um, so we've got, actually, I'll just move my... That's good. Get my thing ready. And uh, then I'm, I'm geared up and probably ready to go. Violence and anarchy, I mean like rebellions and troubles uh, in many parts of the world. Uh, nature, what is happening there? You know, that practically everything is endangered. You know, that... Uh, I mean, obviously, we've got a narrative for it. We say it's probably global warming or it's human encroachment or whatever. But something's actually happening. Trees are dying. I mean, uh, elms all went however many years ago. Ash trees now. My house is called Ash Trees. So I'm slightly worried about the ash trees getting ash die back. Uh, oaks are on their way. I mean, all of this is foretold in the Bible. So I mean, the whole, the whole lot of it, it's all there. Um, as we look at it, plagues and pestilence, well, COVID's been the first global epidemic in our lifetime, but, I mean, they say there's more coming, monkeypox and so on and so on, you know, from this and that and the other forest fires, wiping out things, economic stress. Uh, wow, you know, now, 
Were you feeling depressed when you came here this morning? <laughs> and ferment in the Middle East, which is, which is the epicenter, according to the Word of God, is the epicenter of history. It's going to come to pass there. Keep your eye on that. So there's a whole load of things, but I'm not going to talk about any of that. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to set the scene, really, and say that... that w- that we can't afford to project this into the way future and say, well, this may happen one day. It is, it, it could be happening now. It could be happening this year. So I'm taking the passage from 2 Peter chapter 3, and I think they're going to whop that up on the screen so that if you haven't got a Bible, you can follow it up there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, says Peter, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, it's interesting, he says, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I'm going to actually think about that in a bit, but I I don't do this a lot, but I thought, I must look up the Greek word for this. Uh, And I look, you know, what does wholesome mean? And uh, according to my Greek lexicon, it means unalloyed, not mixed in. Now I thought, you know, an alloy, of course, is a mixture of metals. You put it, you heat it in a crucible or whatever, a furnace or whatever you do, and within that furnace, everything blends together. Now, that might be very helpful if you're making some steel out of iron and carbon and stuff like that. That's okay. But uh, but when your thinking becomes blended, mixed up, that becomes less helpful. And one of the characteristics uh, of the end times, it seems to me, Because first of all, he says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming? Uh, Sorry, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, I'm going to stop there. I think I've probably got up to the next verse, but I'm going to stop there. It's very difficult to know where to stop some of these passages because they run on right the way through. So he says, I want you to think pure thinking. I want you to think unadulterated. I want you to think in such a way that it's not alloyed with the culture, with the secular thing. I want you to focus on the words of the holy prophets. I want you to focus on the teachings of the Lord Jesus. We've got to be Bible people in these days. 
I want to suggest to you that we are the most alloyed thinking generation there has ever been in history. We spend 10 or 15 years being educated, often with all sorts of ideas and principles that are not part of the Word of God at all, and, uh, and it's more and more evident are actively contrary to the Word of God. It's not an accident that the Word of God is now regarded as quite unpopular in lots of circles. It is no longer culturally acceptable to believe in the Bible in the 20th century. So we have lived through a period of probably a couple of hundred years of alloy being poured into our understanding of the Word of God. That, that is such a subtle process, very hard to actually spot it or analyze it or see it happening. Our thinking becomes blended and merged with the world and what is God actually saying is, can be influenced by that thing. So that's the kind of background to this. But Peter actually deliberately talks about three special areas Part of all the things that are happening in the end, you know, global political things, but there is also a war for men's minds and hearts. And he mentions three things. First of all, he says there's going to be a scoffing environment. There's going to be a kind of ridicule, you know, particularly in relating to, to God, to God's word, to holy things. I'll try and uh, elaborate on that in a moment. These are my three points. So you'll be pleased to know I've still got my three points. Secondly, the rejection of creation. I mean, that is big, even for a lot of Christians. Certainly as, as God says it. And thirdly, the denial of the flood. So three areas he talks about. If we uh, look at those verses just again, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires, And they will say, where is this coming he promised? People would just not believe that history is coming to an end and Jesus is coming back. They don't. I mean, the average person in the street, if they knew what we believe, they would be absolutely horrified. Generally speaking, they don't. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by means of water. Water was significant. I'm not, I haven't totally learned how to unpack those words, but it does definitely seem to me that Peter is suggesting that water was a significant part of God's creation process. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Okay, so three things then. Scoffing environment, number one. And he actually says what fuels that scoffing environment. He says they will hold a gradualist, slow view of history. Everything has continued as it was from the beginning of creation. Slowly, 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 it all sort of evolves along. I mean, that's not a bad prophecy for 2,000 years ago. They said the, 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 the predominant philosophy of the end times would be a gradualist. We would have a different view of history to what the Bible has. I mean, Charles Lyell, one of the fathers of modern geology, uh, coined the phrase uniformitarianism. 
Um, he, he died at the end of the 19th century, I believe, and he was preceded by George Hutton, and these two guys really laid the foundations, and that has shaped the academic world of the 20th century. They lived 100 and whatever years ago, but that has profoundly influenced. Uniformitarianism was basically saying the past is the... Uh, is the, cl- the present is the clue to the past. You want to know what happened in the past, you look at the present, you project it back, and so on and so on. Everything's gradually and slowly evolving, uh, as we've already said. So the idea of evolutionary... Pro- I mean, actually, Darwin was reading Charles Lyell when he went on the voyage of the Beagle and was profoundly influenced by what he said. These guys were all products of an enlightenment, an increasing movement away from the Bible, from the Word of God, and towards a a different worldview that has fueled uh, modern society. So the idea of evolutionary progression, everything happens slowly, everything happens according to the principles that we now see, they already worked out that it must have taken millions of years for that to happen. Now, I mean, loads of Christians I know have had to accept the millions of years thing, but do you realize what a cart and horse is that drives through the Word of God? I mean, I spent 40 years trying to wrestle with this. It's not nearly such a tight, shut case as you think, but we're taught it. We're taught it when we're children. We're taught it, we're taught the cavemen, dinosaurs, there's millions of years. David Attenborough repeats it like a mantra, which is why I don't mind speaking about this subject from time to time in churches, because the, 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 the world is throwing an alternative view at us all the time, drip feeding it into us. So millions of years then is part of the culture. If you say, well actually I believe God created the world in six days, you, you can be laughed at. Six days? Are you a Christian? You know, I can believe that Jesus turned water into wine instantly at a wedding, ad hoc, while he's sort of in flow. I can believe that. But the creator of all things, oh he couldn't have done it in six days. Yes he could. Okay, you can, you can take that and wait and think about it. But I mean, millions of years has become orthodoxy and it's very, very difficult actually to go to any university, certainly doing science, if you said anything other than that. It's all happened through natural processes. There's no miraculous or anything else in it. Now that, as I said, has led us to reject a biblical view of history. Biblical view of history is it had a beginning and it had a, it will have an end. It's moving towards an end point. Um, <laughs> you know, and so of course, if you reject that, then of course, where is the promise of his coming? Everything's, it's always been going like this. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, the, the end of the world. So even though everything should appear to threaten, even though things should start falling down around us, we are immunized to not really take it seriously or believe it. That is the world. And as I say, the church has not escaped that. We all go, we all do, you, you know, uh, school, university and everything else. It's embedded in our culture, our education. There's actually quite aggressive indoctrination in it and everybody's affected by it. I actually read, I'm reading this book at the moment uh, by Jerry Bergman. It's called The Slaughter of the Dissidents. It's about America, but he says in American universities, if you dare to believe that, that Darwinism and evolution is not true, you're probably quite likely to get sacked. You have to keep it quiet. And that is probably true in the whole of academia. It is not legal to teach in our schools that God created the earth, except in RE. 
but not in science. You can't actually say that it's a serious viewpoint. So the world is kind of geared and it's really quite heavy going and aggressive. In the midst of that, we have to do wholesome thinking. We've got to try and... And that's not easy. I mean, I've been through the educational system like all of you have. To actually separate your thinking out and say, what is God's word saying? You know, don't, don't, how can I fit six days into so many millions of years? I mean, there are loads of Christians that are doing that. That's, that's, that's not wholesome thinking. That's kind of blended thinking. So how can I do wholesome thinking? Here are some, a few thoughts. Uh, it's now being found increasingly by geologists that are looking at the evidence that a lot of geology didn't happen uh, slowly over millions of years, but happened actually extremely fast. Fossils are the best example of that. You can't normally form fossils. If animals die, they, they fall down on the ground, they rot away, and that's the end of them. Other animals eat them and so on and so on. They don't get kept. But all over the world, there are millions of them. There's a whole burial ground of creatures, from marine creatures right the way up to large creatures and so on. Secondly, so that, that's something to think about. Read books about it. Study it. You know, we've got to do wholesome thinking. So in order to get your head working, you've got to do some, some thinking and studies. Secondly, complex biology needs a designer. Uh, in my way up course, which some of you may have looked at from time to time, oh, well done, Katie. Uh, in the first one, I, I show an, a, an animation of a kinesin linear motor. A kinesin linear motor is a little protein motor that actually walks along uh, microtubules inside the cells of your body, delivering packages of proteins to different parts of the cell. There's another motor, and I can't remember the, for the moment what it's called, that walks the other way. But a kinesin linear motor only goes one way, and then the other motor brings it back the other way. There is loads of very complex machinery. And if, you, if you've seen the animation, it walks like this, carrying a great big pack of proteins on its back, Walks across. I mean, it actually, it, it walks quite fast, but it's got very small legs, so it takes a long time doing it. But I mean, the complexity of a living cell, they, the scientists have been trying for ages to find how could it have started. Was it this or was it that? Was it the other? You know, was it amino acids that got started? What are the building blocks of life and so on? They can't find, they can't find any Lego bricks of life that you could start with that would bring it together. The whole thing is circular. And complicated, so that's another area. I've got loads of books. If anybody wants their recommendations, I can let you have them afterwards. Thirdly, evolution is actually going downwards. This, to me, is the most damning critique of evolution that you could possibly have. It's not advancing, it's degenerating. I mean, I've got a book here that I've read some little time ago called Genetic Entropy. Uh, entropy is the tendency for things to run down. And the guy is a very top-class geneticist, and he said the great untold secret of genetics uh, is that evolution is going backwards, not forwards, and that everything is degenerating. All creatures are degenerating. It's all slowly dying. It may be some of what we see is simply evidence of the fact that God said, on the day that you do it, you will surely die. And although it is mercy has kept us going, death is actually still happening. That's a very, very sober thought. The human genome uh, gains about a hundred mutations every generation. 
So I've got a hundred more mutations in my genome than my father, and my children have got a hundred more, sorry guys, uh, got a hundred more mutations than me, and their children, my grandchildren, have got a hundred more than them. Now, I mean, thankfully, you've got 3,000 million bits of, of information in your genome, so you've got a bit of spare, and it's generally not fatal. But it, but it is interesting, the illnesses that our, our medical services are constantly trying to combat may well be fighting a process that is increasingly happening. It's going downward. So for me, that finishes it. It's not, it's not viable or possible. And there are many scientists now that actually believe that. But that will be the prevailing view in the end times. Okay. Secondly, I, I, I knew I was going to be fine. I spent half my time working out a talk, and then the other half trying to make it shorter to fit it in. So I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm just, you're going to get it. I come 150 miles to deliver this, so I'm going to do it. Okay. <laughs> Second one was the rejection of creation. Uh, it says here, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by Water. They deliberately ignore the creation. Now, I know people are deliberately ignoring Jesus, but that but first came creation. Creation started to fall 200 years ago in the 19th century, and the rest of the things are slowly falling. It affects our evangelism. It affects our credibility. It affects our ability to reach people today. I mean, the church is often in a position where we're trying to help people and do good, and that's all very good, but often that's because we can't get them to listen to our message, which is a message of transformational conversion through Jesus, who alone is the creator of the universe. Because they don't believe in that anymore. So, that, so you see, one thing was taken away, and then the other things have fallen. So, wholesome thinking. Uh, we're going to try and do some wholesome thinking on creation. Now, some of you will be familiar with this, and I apologise for that, but as I say, David Attenborough carries on ad nauseum, so I'm going to do the same. Uh, you will know that the world has a, has a greenhouse. That greenhouse is amazingly important. Uh, that thin layer of blue around the globe creates a massive barrier to cosmic rays. To, there are layers of it. It's a thermosphere, an ionosphere, a magnetosphere. There's all these, these layers around the Earth that are, provide amazing protection for the Earth. If it were not there, the Earth would die. Uh, it would become so cold at night, uh, nobody would survive. Uh, and I believe that that is described in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 6 to 8. It's okay, it's not, it's not my notes. It's just my bookmark. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I'll, I'll just read this briefly. And, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So you remember in the beginning, the earth was covered with water. Then God separated the waters. He put some of it above the expanse and some of it was below the expanse. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so, and God called the expanse sky. So above the sky and below the sky, there was a water sandwich in the earth that God originally... That was profound, you know, Peter says, out of water, and by means of water it was made... Uh, so the water is significant. I think uh, that is a bit of a, a clue there. 
and God called the expanse sky evening and morning there was a second day. That's a diagram that somebody did of it. Obviously it's, it's probably a poor representation. But you get the general gist of it that around the earth there was a, a, a layer of protection created out of water, vapour, not, not, you know, not wet water, it would all sort of slop down. Uh, I don't know, I mean, water, water vapour is lighter than air as we have it, but, uh, but even so, there would have required uh, miraculous dynamics, but then the whole earth was a miracle anyway in the first place. So certainly not beyond God's capacity to do that. And it definitely fits. Around it, there was this layer, and the water absorbed the heat from the sun where it hit it directly, and then spread around the earth, forming a kind of a thermal blanket around, uh, around the earth that then protected it and evened out the temperatures so that it was uh, much warmer at the poles and it was much cooler at the equator. So the whole earth was much more even. And interestingly, there's a passage in Isaiah chapter 40, where it says he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. God created the earth as a place that we could live in. It was perfect. It's not now. You know, the, 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 the earth's sun that strikes us and cancer of the skin is now getting more common. You know, the thing, the system is, is, is beginning to break down a little bit. I'm not trying to depress you because Jesus is coming. The King is coming. He's going to sort this. But we do need to recognize that, uh, that the world that we live in is not secure. It is, uh, uh slowly running down. Okay, so let's have a look at that. Uh, an original, um, uh, uh greenhouse environment would have created perfect weather. So it, it would have evened out the temperature, you wouldn't have had the extremes. And it's interesting that after the flood you get extremes of cold and heat, summer, winter, you know, and all of that are mentioned. Before that they're not mentioned. So in, in this period before the weather would have been perfect, there would have been uh, universal warmth everywhere, really blue sky, not a lot of rain, um, not any rain, um, no clouds in the sky and so on and so on. Genesis 2.5 actually says uh, that, that water came up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And of course, as we know, rain doesn't do that. Rain doesn't water the whole face of the ground. Um, water, uh, rain only falls around the edges of the continents. Uh, it would have also protected the earth from harmful rays and uh, would have provided year-round growth. You remember that the earth in the beginning was uh, vegetarian, um, and, uh, and in order to provide enough growth, I mean, how do you feed a dinosaur? You know, that's a vegetarian. The earth must have been phenomenally luxuriant and fertile. It would have been a different kind of earth to the one that we had. There would have also been, it's been suggested, and I go with this, a higher atmospheric pressure. Uh, the weight of the canopy around the earth would press down. Now, the pressure... Uh, in the earth is at the moment at sea level is 15 pounds per square inch. That means that the weight of the air pressing down on it is actually quite heavy. If you didn't have it inside you balancing it, it would crush you. Um, so with a canopy around it, it would increase the atmospheric pressure uh, upon everything on the earth and that would have interestingly have increased the availability of oxygen and carbon dioxide so that, so that animals could grow and vegetation could grow 
um, and it would all grow much better. So it provides a model, this kind of model for me, provides a model for a world that was radically different to the world that we now have today. It would have been luxuriant in every way. It would have been a paradise. That, of course, would facilitate for larger creatures and uh, everything else. And, of course, we know that there were. I mean, that's uh, just one... I try to find the weight, of the, the, the estimated weight of these large um, uh, vegetarian dinosaurs, and that was the latest I could come up with. I did read one uh, research that said about 120 tons. Whatever. When you compare that with an elephant, which is the largest... Uh, land-dwelling creature on the earth today of six tons, there's a different league. Something's changed. You know what I mean? Not only is there, you know, these larger creatures could not sustain. After the flood, when the whole earth's atmosphere changed, they, uh, if they did survive, and it's thought that they did, which is why you get legends of dragons and that all over the world. Uh, so they did carry on, but they couldn't sustain in the long term because they were too huge and they couldn't get enough feed and so on. There's a bone uh, of one with a guy lying beside you. You get a, sign, uh, a sense of the sheer massiveness of these creatures. But people often stop at that. They weren't the only things. That is a fossilised, that's been made into a model, that's a fossilised dragonfly with a two-foot wingspan. We do not know any insect today that can grow that big. It can't absorb enough oxygen. I think they absorb it through their skin or something like that, insects. They, they need a higher pressure environment. I mean, you've got pterodactyls that have got 40-foot wingspan. Today, there is no bird or anything that can fly with a 40-foot wingspan. It needs thicker air to do it. I mean, a high pressure environment would have made a completely different world. So you, do, you really have to think outside the box. So if I can get some of you fascinated by this and thinking about it and pursuing it, I would be a very happy man. You can start to talk to non-Christians and say, do you realise that... I mean, these things were on the BBC website, so I mean, that's official. I mean, that's a penguin. Uh, That's a six-foot penguin. The one beside... Oh, you haven't got one. Oh, yeah, I've got one beside it. I couldn't remember what uh, thing I was on. Um, The one beside it is an ordinary standard biggest penguin that you can get today. This is an old penguin, as they were. So this is not just one thing. This one is a... a, I mean, look at that. Uh, Again, these are models that have been made from actual real fossil uh, things. So it wasn't just uh, dinosaurs... Uh, but the whole, uh, the whole animal kingdom. So there is a lot to be said for an original creation that was perfect, beautiful, luxuriant, fertile, harmonious, beautiful. Then something went wrong. The Bible says, of course, it was the flood, and the denial of the flood um, uh, is the third one that we're going to look at. Okay, right. Um, and that happened from two directions. Genesis uh, 7 and verse 11 uh, puts them in. I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's about three chapters on the flood. And again, I've got quite a few references to it in my way up course. But I mean, should you look at that? That would be good. Uh, it's on YouTube, easily accessible. The, the, the two places that it came from, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, And the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So the water came from two directions. The the flood rendered the earth meteorologically unreliable. 
hurricanes and storms and all sorts of things. The, the, the barrier was taken away, broke down um, upon the earth. The water that God had placed up there in the beginning uh, became uh, part of the, um, uh, the flood. And then, of course, there was also uh, the... Uh, the breakup of the earth, super volcanoes and huge crustal changes. I mean, that, that picture underneath those words is a picture, some artist's impression of what the earth was, seven and to eight, and I can't read that. It says that it covered the earth, including the mountains. So there is no way that the Bible will let us get away with a local flood. This was global. It has to be global. Um, if you cover the mountains, it's not, it's going to go everywhere, isn't it? Uh, massive storms. In Genesis 8.1, it says that a wind began to blow over the earth. The waters began to recede. It took six months um, uh, for the waters to recede. It took approximately six months to, to flood the earth and then six months to recede the earth. And actually, you can work through geology and work out what geology was laid down at what points in the flood and various... Uh, 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 geologists, uh, creation geologists now are working on these models. The Earth's axis, I believe, tilted. They say when the, the tsunami happened in Japan, uh, however many years ago, that the Earth's uh, magnetic axis changed six inches. Uh, so if one big, because that was caused by a, a fairly major subterranean earthquake, if one earthquake can shift it that uh, earthquake, not an earthquake, uh, can shift it that much, then it's pretty likely that, uh, that a massive cataclysm like the flood could actually... So it went from being vertical, you get no seasons with a vertical axis. It's the tip of the axis that gives us winter and summer. And the Bible actually says in Genesis 8 that there will be winter and summer, extremes of weather, cold and heat, and so on. And, of course, it's then that the rainbow appears, indicating that at this point, uh, rain became a part of the reality of it. There are legends of the flood <coughs> uh, all over the world. Somebody's estimated 250 cultures have a legend of a flood, many of them very different. I mean, you'll see from those pictures up there, some of their flood uh, vessels are quite bizarre. The Babylonian one is like a wooden box and, you know, some are like a junk and, you know, uh, different cultures have framed it in their way. But often the story is pretty much the same. They've even got the same name repeated. There is evidence, of course, all through the rocks. And as we talked about, the massive number of fossils. This is a dinosaur bed in Nebraska. And it's, you know, trying to get a picture that holds, that takes the, the hugeness of it. And it's very difficult to do that, um, uh, mainly because uh, the further back you go, the less clear the evidence is. But you can see the rib cages there uh, of these uh, large creatures that were. Um, buried. The global coal seams all over the world, I picked that one because it's obvious and you can see the coal sticking out, would have been huge mats of trees and so on that floated in the flood, then got dumped, then got covered, then got dumped and covered and so on and so on. It's very hard to work out from an evolutionary point of view how coal actually happened. Um, and some of them have got tree trunks that go right across the whole coal seam, you know, so they obviously didn't take millions of years. That's a picture of Los Angeles quite a long time back, and those are not trees, they're oil derricks. Massive discovery there in very geologically active area. <clears throat> and of course it reminds us that the fossil fuel, um, uh, billions of barrels are taken out still to this day, 
um, and uh, oil and natural gas and so on. In fact, I think the, the interesting thing is, and I've often mused on this, that the whole foundation of modern civilization is based on the judgment of the flood that happened in the past. It's interesting, isn't it? So there you go. Uh, marine fossils in the mountains, I mean, that, that, that's the Himalayas. Um, and the uh, Himalayas is not recognized by everybody. Uh, it's sedimentary. Uh, it's been sedimentary and buckled up, so almost certainly following the flood, there were still huge earth movements and, and mountains started to crumple up and so on. That fish actually was found up in the Himalayas. You've got you to have, have an explanation for that. Now, I know there is a, there is a uniformitarian explanation. You've got to build a story, but it doesn't, it doesn't make nearly as much sense as what the Bible says, which is much more so. Vast layers of sedimentary rock and mud covering 70% of the earth. I mean, there's one layer in the Grand Canyon there uh, called the Coconino Sandstone that is 200,000 square miles of rock that was laid down in one event. <laughs> that was not a local flood. Really, these are global things. There are limestone layers that travel for hundreds and hundreds of miles through the earth. The earth has actually been visited by a massive cataclysm. And the, but in the end times, men will deny it and probably laugh at the idea. Okay. Well, I finally got to the end. Sorry about that, everybody. You've been very patient. Uh, what Peter says is, you, you must understand. I want you to understand. And that, I've spent the last 40 years, probably, of my ministry making this quite a focus, really. Because I recognize that we are fighting a culture. It's, you know, you probably go away and say, well, what does he know? That is true. Um, I, I have read a lot of books, um, and, uh, and, but God's word actually says it. You know, we can't brush over it. We have to say, if it says it, then we've got to, first of all then, the Bible is credible. Most people don't no longer believe the Bible apart from a bit of good advice maybe or a blessing sometimes. The Bible is credible. Secondly, God is good. God did not create the world that we live in. It's a fallen world. God is still moving in grace to rescue us in his love and mercy is by our foolishness. But God is good. Sin is serious. It destroyed the world. And it's moving towards a final appointment with destiny. The end is coming. This is, you know, in these last days, said Peter. So the very, the very kind of uh, uh, academic and mental attitude that we're living in is itself an indication that we're in the last days. Uh, and uh, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. So we're living in really... Significant days. I hope I've encouraged you. Uh, you know, I mean, this is reality. This is what the Bible says. We are moving towards an end point. And we need to study and pray and seek and witness and live as those that do not know how much time we have. For the King is coming. Amen. Let's just bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I feel like I haven't really done it well, but I pray that you'd bless it and use it and speak through it to us and glorify your name. And I pray that we would be more and more men and women that would think wholesomely, that would be able to separate our thinking from what the world is constantly pouring upon us 
and focus on that which you are saying and hear your voice. So, Father, help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.